It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to Talent Talk. I'm live in the studio, which is a little bit of an unusual occurrence these days, as I'm usually either at the home office or on the road somewhere. But uh, this happens to be our last live show. Uh, in case you are tuning in live, this is our last live show of 2019. Uh, and if you're listening to the podcast or uh, online afterwards, you probably don't care that it's the last one of 2019. But uh, we're just sort of throwing that out there. So I'm excited to have two great guests to kind of finish out the year uh, and really keep our conversation going. This really the show's all about having a conversation around talent and figuring out what really talented people are doing um, and, and really hoping that we can learn something, right? That we can take a story, we can take a bit of wisdom, maybe uh, a mistake, something that happened uh, in, with what our guests are doing or have done and turn it into some sort of a win or a positive for us in our work and everything that we do with our employees uh, and as leaders. So I've had so many fantastic stories over the years. In fact, my first book, The Power of Company Culture, is filled with stories from the radio show, from great guests, from GM, from uh, Southwest Airlines, uh, just to name a few. So I'd love to have you check the book out Yeah, if you're interested in uh, The Power of Company Culture. Uh, we are live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you uh, know a great guest, uh, send them our way. If you know a leader who might want to learn more, uh, might want to find out uh, through, through the power of story um, you know, what they can do to inspire their, their direct reports, to, to lead their companies better. Or maybe just get a little bit better themselves. Uh, this is where we want to want we to show up. So uh, we also live tweet everything we do here. Um, so while the show is going, we will be live tweeting uh, on Twitter. So follow at PeopleG2. You can also follow the hashtag Talent Talk. That's all one word. Uh, my social media guru Sarah will, will feed me any questions that come in during the show. We try to pop them in if time allows. Uh, otherwise, we'd love to have your engagement, your comments, your agreements, your disagreements, whatever you like to do with those posts. Uh, go ahead and follow us there. But uh, so you know who we're talking about, uh, we're going to bring in uh, two guests today. My first one is calling in today, uh, Carolina Caro, uh, keynote speaker and a certified leadership coach. And then live in studio, we'll bring in Tom Baines, president of the SoCal division of Landessa Homes. So Tom, I said, will be joining me at the second half, but let's go ahead and bring in Carolina. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for having me. And I'm hoping I'm saying your name correctly. Is that right? You are. Yes, it's Carolina. Perfect. Because I do have a habit of screwing up names or saying at least something incorrectly once per show. So maybe we'll <laughs> save that for later on. Um, wh <laughs> why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, uh, you know, with your keynotes, uh, uh, being a certified leadership coach, what sort of keeps you busy uh, all day long and the things that you like to do? Absolutely. 
So I do run a leadership development firm, and it has several arms to it. So one of the arms is providing keynote presentations. Another piece of the arm is executive coaching or leadership coaching that can be in the form of individual coaching or group coaching. And then the third piece of that is training. So that comes in the work uh, in the form of workshops or um, retreats and so forth. And and what sort of keynote speeches are you typically giving? So I specialize in mindfulness-based approaches, and so I like to say that I help leaders master their mind. So this is all about mental fitness. So we know for a long time that we have to go to the gym to keep our bodies well. So mindfulness is a tool to help us be mentally fit. And so I focus a lot on the neuroscience of mindfulness, mindfulness as a tool to help us raise our emotional intelligence, self-awareness about our habits so that leaders can uncover their blind spots. Yeah, and that's a really big uh, topic. I mean, uh, as far as blind spots go, I mean, there's so many uh, great leaders out there that still struggle because they're not seeing some part of their interaction, some part of their maybe their story or their dialogue they're having with their people uh, that's holding them back. So maybe you could share a little bit about your journey, what brought you to be a leadership coach and, and to really specialize in this area of mindfulness. Well, Chris, as you mentioned, I was one of those leaders who was not only um, unaware of my blind spots, but was also very resistant to anything that was um, that even touched mindfulness. So I had a lot of judgment around it. And I was working at the time in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, I was working for Pfizer in Canada, and Pfizer was progressing and evolving into becoming an organization that was supporting work-life balance. So they had just launched that as an important value to the organization. Uh, meanwhile, I was a workaholic, so um, the fact that they were now telling me, uh, my management basically said, you have to start leaving the office at a reasonable hour to be an example to your team, because my team was staying behind until I was leaving the office. Um, so they basically told me, get a hobby, whatever you need to do, just leave at a reasonable hour and, and make sure that you're, you know, living this value. And at the time, I have to say, I was I was, I was a bit upset about this because everything, my workhorse uh, ability is what had gotten me promoted and so forth. Um, and it was actually through acting. I had started taking some acting classes, working on my uh, public speaking and so forth, where I first discovered mindfulness. And it literally changed my life to the point where I quit my career in the pharmaceutical industry left all of that behind and actually for a while was pursuing acting thinking that that had been the vehicle to introduce this um to make a long story short eventually that led me to coaching so started out at the other end and the funny thing is now i'm dedicating my life to this all the way on the other well and that's a fascinating story right and i think we all maybe not all of us but a lot of us can certainly uh, empathize with this idea of being, you know, a workaholic, right? That you, you just work as many hours and as hard as you need to work to get that done, especially if you're maybe starting off your career and you're trying to make a name for yourself or accomplish certain things. And it can, I guess, sort of be a conflict if someone tells you maybe you need to uh, have a bit more of a balance. So uh, I think mindfulness is really important for leaders. Um, can, can you have mindfulness and still... Uh, you know, be a workaholic too? I mean, are those, are those two things separate or are they somehow, you know, is there, is there a Venn diagram on there? When am I missing something? <laughs> well, I think, again, we're all sort of a work in progress. And there's, um, I like to think of mindfulness as a journey, not a destination. 
So it depends on where you're starting off with the process. I think that um, even for me today, I have to catch myself a lot of the times when I start reverting back to some of those uh, tendencies or habits that I used to have and recognize when I'm out of alignment, out of balance. Um, I, I think what the mindfulness does is develop that inner compass so that your, your, that inner voice starts to say, you know, this is unhealthy and we need to kind of course correct. Right. So, you know, one of the things that my company has started promoting and talking about is just asking people to go and meditate or just, you know, for 15 minutes or if that's too, you know, weird for them, then, you know, go take the dog for a walk because we're 100 percent remote. So go go take the dog or, your, or yourself for a walk for 15 minutes. Right. Just separate yourself from your work. Give your brain a moment to catch up and to process and all of that. Um, and for us, that's sort of been a good way to maybe introduce some of this idea of having this time to think and to to reflect. Um, but why do you think companies in general should invest in this and other, other different types uh, of programs or, or, or techniques that you think they should maybe start with as a, if they wanna, they're willing to put their toe in the water? Absolutely. So depending on the client, I always say if if you can't do the 15 minutes or even going for the walk, I say even if you start with one minute, even if you start a meeting with an intention. So there's really a lot of different small things that we can do that impact the organization. Now, what I feel why they should be doing this is because, as you talked about, so culture, right? This is not only important for shifting company culture so that we get away from some of the toxicity that can be present as a result of conflict or tension. This impacts engagement, which is still a huge problem in the U.S., um, and a costly one at that. And then uh, productivity, creativity, innovation. I mean, I can go on and on in terms of the, the why of why this is so important. Mm-hmm. And particularly today, I think there's an urgency around it because of how we're becoming so addicted to technology and our devices and how that's affecting our brain. Um, and we, we're moving at such a pace along with our technology that is really, um, it's not sustainable, you know. Yeah, and, and I think people still have this sort of, I guess, an old school way of thinking about it that, you know, you have to be there, like you said, all these uh, long hours in order to get these things done or it's, there's perceptions around it. Uh, I think it's also the sort of same mistake that people make about multitasking. Um, you know, multitasking doesn't work. Um, you can really only deeply focus and do one thing at a time. You can't. People think they're good at multitasking and all the science says that they're not, um, that they're better off doing one thing at a time and doing it really well. Um, and I think the same thing is with this about being mindful about your work and the time that you spend. Um, I often talk about this thing called Manson's Law, which is if you leave an amount of time to do something, you typically take that amount of time to do it. And like if you leave two hours to clean the garage, you'll take two hours to clean the garage. But if you leave yourself 30 minutes to clean the garage, you'll suddenly go faster. You'll decide what's important. You may ask for help to get it done quicker. You'll find ways to get it done in that period of time. And so to your point, if you are going to work these really long hours, does that really make you more effective? Does that you do really get more work done by working longer hours? Or have you sort of set yourself up that, well, I'm going to be here for 12 hours and things start to stretch out and you do activities you don't need to do or have meetings you don't need to have. Are we, are we sort of playing with sort of a cognitive bias here and, and time in general by thinking about this in a different way? I couldn't agree with you more. And I actually put that to the test when I do a lot of group activities 
activities when um, I'm trying to demonstrate to a team about this exact thing that you're saying. So I'll give them a task, but they might think, oh, no, we definitely need, need at least an hour to do that. And I say, okay, well, you actually have 30 minutes to do that. And what that forces them to do, knowing that that's their time constraint now, is to figure it out. How are they going to use the 30 minutes that they have? And for most of the time, if people really get down to being, again, um, creative and innovative about problem solving, they'll get it done and then surprise themselves, wow, we did that in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. If they don't get caught up in, in talking about it, right? So that's the other thing that sometimes will slow um, groups down. But I couldn't agree more. Uh, and so it's about being effective with your time versus just being there, you know, in body only sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and and that can be, and you you bring up a good point about that planning phase, right? Um, if you've done agile or Scrum methodologies, or certain, you know, built-in time for that, right? To have these planning meetings and 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 to think about that in an organized way, but then have separate time to actually do the task. But I think if you haven't had that training, it's really easy to spend thirty minutes just talking about what you're going to do in the thirty minutes that you actually do the work, and then now you're at an hour, so. You know, is, is there, I think we're sort of getting into this, but what's the link here between mindfulness and the mindset? Well, these days, I think there's so many organizations that are recognizing the uh, importance of adopting a growth mindset. And there was, there's been a lot of work done around that and growth mindset versus fixed, which means that we allow room for our intelligence to grow. We don't see our intelligence as a fixed trait anymore. And so that allows room for making mistakes and how we really embrace, quote unquote, failure. Um, and, and especially for technology companies and those that are in that innovative space. And I think mindfulness allows, is the, again, the vehicle or the tool that allows us to see, are we approaching situations from a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? Because we're, we're not one or the other. It's all situational. So are we going into a situation and giving us the opportunity to learn to grow? Uh, it's that difference between are we learn-it-alls or know-it-alls? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you're coming at it from a fixed mindset, then you're trying to prove yourself right or how smart you are or what you know versus giving yourself that room to grow. So, you know, the the world of work has really changed in, in the last 20 years. I look back when I started my company almost 20 years ago to where we are today, and it is really different, not only in how we work and why we work, but also what we use to work and to the technology. And I mean, there's so much has happened. What are you seeing maybe here coming in the future that we ought to be thinking about? Well, I think we need to embrace the concept of slowing down to speed up. Because I think right now we're caught up in this go, 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 and it goes along with our technology and our devices and everything about being so efficient. And we're not seeing the impact that that has on human capital, on so many other factors. And I think that's why we find, you know, the level of uh, stress, anxiety, uh, burnout, there's so many consequences. So this ability to be able to slow down, I mean, you mentioned it before when you were talking about multitasking. We have a mindset that believes that that's actually more efficient when it's completely false and the research is there to support that. So if we can be more mindful, if we can slow down knowing that that's going to help us speed up, 
be more productive, be more innovative, be more creative. That's where we need to go. But unfortunately, we have our own inner resistance to that, thinking that uh, the other way, the multitasking route, the, you know, having so much, filling up our agenda with stuff and things to do um, is sometimes perceived as more efficient. Yeah, the, the uh, sort of problem of being busy, right? Um, exactly. And, and we also, so again, as I mentioned, my company is 100% remote. We actually had to undo this concept of that's because someone looked busy and act busy, they must be productive. Uh, and w- when we went remote, we realized we had to have a better way to evaluate people, to measure them, to determine, you know, are they doing a great job or do they need help or maybe this is the wrong place for them. And this that concept of busy went away because we couldn't see busy. And you can't hear busy, and nobody can pretend busy. And you, you know, I guess you can pretend a little bit, you know, when you're in your meetings on a, in a verbal way. But you know, we had to really change what we were doing, and we got forced to do it because we changed how we worked. I'd imagine a, a traditional company. This is something maybe they're really struggling with: is how how do you figure out what is productive, what is really working versus what is busy? Uh, are you seeing that struggle as well with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned a key point is the whole unlearning. And that is easier said than done in the sense that we know that those sort of pathways in our brain that are sort of formed um, become our default. And as I was mentioning before, for me, as someone who used to be have those workaholic tendencies, I can revert to that. Um, especially in times of stress. So I think that happens with our clients as well, where we've learned a particular way to approach our work or even the way that we perceive things, right? And so we revert to that, particularly in times of stress. So then adopting new habits, and we know that even from brain science that, yes, there's this idea of neuroplasticity, but as we get older, too, that there's, that decreases or, you know, we can still, through effort, adopt new habits, but it comes with that effort. And so it's that piece that these tools that we're talking about, mindfulness and so forth, that help people do that. But again, it's not easy. It might be simple, but it's not easy. Right. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that we love asking our guests, uh, we've been asking this now for, I don't know, for almost as long as we've had the show and uh, whenever we have time, and that is, what are you reading right now, or is there something that you typically suggest people uh, take a look at when suggesting a book? Well, I'm reading a book right now called Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Miss, and so as someone who uh, trained as a research scientist, I I'm very interested in the metaphysical world and also sort of energy and how that impacts because I think that science is starting to bridge those two worlds, but we're not quite there yet. So I love understanding how the energy that we bring into the room really impacts our leadership capabilities. Um, even if the science behind that is not all there yet. So I think that's an important piece. Also, as we think about the future and what's coming, is as we're going to understand the science behind that, uh, which now we think of just more, um, you know, in theory, but not proven yet, about how, how what the energy is that we bring into situations, the impact that that has. Yeah, and there's so much um, that has been proven, that has been sort of really solidified in the appreciative inquiry, um, which is on the psychology side, on bringing a positive view and looking at things positively and, you know, evaluating what's working and, and focusing on what you're doing right it has such a huge impact on the brain. And certainly neuroscience has also proven that on that side that 
the brain does react better. We do react better to that type of a framework. Uh, there may be more frameworks that we can address and look at, and science seems to be in uh, all the different sciences, uh, you know, different uh, with social science are we looking at, you know, brain science seems to have lots of different places for us to go, I guess, look down the hole and, and see what's there. So I'm really excited about the future, and it sounds like a great book that people might want to check out uh, if they're interested in learning more. Um, uh, you know, you, you've mentioned a lot of great things here uh, so far in our interview, and we're almost done. But if somebody only heard one thing, if they only happened to tune in for, you know, 30 seconds, what is it you hope that they heard that they might take away with them today? Well, I think I would want them to know that uh, mindfulness is a tool for self-awareness. I like to say how we do anything is how you do everything. And so with the awareness comes choice. And choice is so that we can then translate that to our habits and behavior. I talked about before how, you know, having the blind spots and then sort of being awakened. So I would say awareness and how you do anything is how you do everything. Fantastic. So how can people get a hold of you and find out more about uh, your keynote speaking, your coaching, your, your business in general? What's the best way for them to find out more? Sure. I would probably send them to my website at carolinacaro.com, and then they can reach out to me there with any questions that they might have or inquiries, and I'd be happy to um, answer them. And for any uh, anyone else out there who's name challenged, Caro is spelled C-A-R-O, not with a K, but with a C. That uh, way they can make sure they find you. But thank you so much for being a part of the show today and providing us such fantastic insights. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and uh, give us an update on everything you're doing. Thanks, Chris. It's been fun chatting with you. All right. Have, we'll, excuse me. Woo. We'll come right back after a quick commercial break and bring in my guest uh, live in the studio, Tom Baines. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Carolina Caro, you can find her interview as as well as all we're about to have on our podcast on iTunes or go to talenttalkradio.com, which is another great place to follow us. You can also go to Stitcher or wherever you find podcasts. You can find us. Just look for Talent Talk or look up my name, Chris Dyer, and you should be able to find us, follow us, share us, whatever it may be. We hope you're enjoying all the content. My next guest, who I mentioned, is live in our studio, Tom Baines. He's the president of the SoCal division of Landessa Homes. Uh, and as a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter, at PeopleG2. We're doing a live tweeting right now of all the best little blurbs, all the best things that were said. Uh, we tweet out there and uh, follow that hashtag, Talent Talk. So, uh, Tom, welcome to the show today. 
Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. So um, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, uh, what you're doing, and, of course, tell us more about your company as well. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm a local guy. I grew up in Orange County. Uh, went to high school locally. Went to UC Irvine. Uh, played baseball in college and professionally five years afterwards. And then sort of really fell into home building towards the end of my baseball career. Um, basically got hired on by a local home builder who was trying to improve their softball team and started out uh, in the industry uh, that way. That's a fantastic story. So you get recruited into the business right. through, through the softball team. I love it. Yeah, exactly. And 30 years uh, later, I'm still in the uh, business. So I um, worked for my first company for 28 years and been with Lancy the last uh, year and a half. But I think I just love the business because of the uh, teamwork involved. And it's something that... It's very tangible. We have projects that we start and finish, so there's a lot of gratification from uh, accomplishing the projects. Right. And uh, which uh, which local high school did you go to? I went to Modern Day. Modern Day. Okay. Yes. We had to, uh, as being a local person as well, it's always interesting to know everybody went to school. So uh-huh. uh, m- uh, maybe everybody else out there in the uh, in the internet world won't care, but uh, I did. So uh, why don't you tell? What, so what kind of projects uh, is Lancy working on? Okay. Uh, well, I'll. Let's see. So, Lancy Homes, we're a national home builder. Uh, we have four uh, divisions. It's um, one in Southern California, one in Northern California, one in Arizona, one in New York. And we're a relatively new company. We've been around six years. Mm-hmm. In uh, Southern California, we have projects in a couple projects in Orange County. We have a big master plan community called Iron Ridge and Lake Forest. Okay. We have five different product lines there. And they, those range from townhomes starting in about the mid 500s all the way to single family detached. That's so about 1.4 million. We have a project in Newport Beach called Lido Villa. That's uh, two to three and a half million, which we're almost done with. I have a project in Simi Valley called Westerly. Mm-hmm. That's a townhome project. And then we have some new projects coming up. One in um, Chatsworth called Cressley, and then a couple big projects in Ontario that we're uh, working on right now. So, you know, being in this type of business, I mean, if anyone's ever had a general contractor or anyone working at their house over a long period of time, you can probably, you can remember maybe some of the frustrations. So, I mean, you're, you're sort of in this every day, right? You have people, you have builders, you have all these different companies and different contractors coming in and doing things. You know, do you have to take on a particular leadership style or there are certain things that you have to do sort of in the unique complexities of your business and handling all those different types of people, you know, doing those types of projects? Yeah, you're right. I mean, we have... Uh... Uh, relationships. We have to work with a lot of subcontractors, trade partners that uh, do the actual work. We, we just supervise the work. So we have construction superintendents on the site, but we also work with a lot of consultants that help us with the architecture and engineering planning. And so we really have to work in a professional way to make our business and land sea very attractive for those companies to work with. Um, so it's very important that when they work with us, uh, that we're ready, for example, on the construction site, when they come to do the job, they could come out and do it efficiently. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the consultants, you know, we always want to be responsive to them and we expect response and return. And so it's really important that uh, we're professional, well-organized so that the, co- the businesses that do work with us can make money and have a good work experience with Lancy. Well, it's amazing how much just a little bit of communication and a little bit of planning inside of these types of projects can have a huge impact. I mean, I had a project at my house, and after about two days of watching them running around with their heads cut off, I said, <laughs> "Maybe I know you guys have not ever heard of Scrum or Agile, but I'm going to do a Scrum with you guys, and we're going to plan this out. What are the things we have to do? And magically, they could see it, and they were like, oh, well, we can't do this until this guy does that. And so, yeah, you better make sure he can be here at two, because then everyone's stuck, right? Right. And just a little bit of organization 
really changed everything. So uh, I think you have people that are highly skilled at what they do, but maybe don't have necessarily any leadership or management training, right? It's not a typical thing for someone who's uh, doing a, maybe a, a trade position to have that kind of training. Um, so do you guys provide some of that as those sort of supervisors? Are you providing the management or are you guys trying to also train them as well at the same time? Uh, we don't do a lot of training directly with the contractors. We really expect them to do that, uh, mm-hmm. to have their own supervision on the site to make sure that their workers are doing the work to the standard of quality that uh, we expect at Lancy. Right. Um, but you know, we do, we're professionals at this, and we do this as a business, so we're very well organized in terms of the schedules and having it laid out very um, efficiently. Right. And so... Um, yeah, it, it doesn't mean that necessarily everything always goes to plan. There, there's things, uh, we experience things like you may experience at your house where things, right. somebody doesn't show up or there's a problem, their truck breaks down, and, you know, it's kind of the old excuses that have been going around for a while. But yeah. in general, um, we try to associate ourselves with really good quality contractors that perform, and uh, th- those are the type of people we want to align with. And when things do go wrong, we're pretty resor- resourceful people and figure out a way to keep the project moving forward and, and work around these. Uh, slight hiccups in the process. And that's what's really key, right? It's not that uh, no problem's ever going to happen. It's how do you respond to the issue? How do you correct it? How do you get somebody else in there or, or get things back on track? Um, maybe over the long term, you want to work with, sounds like you, you're pretty experienced, you know how to work with the right people that are going to be consistent most of the time. But I often tell our clients, you know, it's I'm never going to promise you 100% perfection all the time. It's how we respond to the issue that right. I think is important. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think we have a little bit more control over the contractors and consultants that we work with. Um, but we also have to process plans through the cities. And um, sometimes they don't respond exactly how we would like. And so we have to <laughs> really be on top of our game and make sure to follow up with them and make sure that mm-hmm. they respond and, and when they do uh, kind of stop us and we do everything we can try to, every different way we can to keep moving the project forward so we're, we're constantly uh, our business is extremely time sensitive uh, the quicker that we get on a site we want to start our models model home as soon as we can and uh, get them built and open up for sale as soon as we can and mm-hmm. close out as soon as we can so there's always a lot of pressure on us to get things done as quickly as we can. So any sort of hiccup in the process, we have to, you know, has our full attention and, and we're working very hard to get around it and through it. You know, one of the things that has been uh, coming up a lot lately with companies is uh, sort of what is their corporate social responsibility? Is that something you guys are spending some time with? Yeah, it's it's very important to Lancy. It's really important that... Uh, uh, we get involved in our communities and help out and coordinate different charitable um, events. Uh, we're, in fact, this last, last Friday we had a dedication of a eight-unit apartment building that uh, we renovated for homemade and uh, families forward to help with the homeless issue that's very prevalent prevalent in our communities today. And and uh, so Lancy took the. Uh, uh, job of being the builder partner and so we with the help of our trade partners and consultants that we work with um, kind of organize the work effort to really improve these buildings so that they're really nice for the new families that are going to right. live there so um, we completed that last week and already I think this week they were planning for four or five families to be occupying those homes which is very uh, gratifying and we're really happy to participate in that yeah and that, and that's a great thing for the you know the corporation overall to be to be kind of backing 
working and, and uh, be part of the community and, and provide that responsibility. Um, do the employees also get involved and do they have a way to get back to the community as well? Yeah, in particular, like on that homemade uh, project, we we organized a few team days, which is great for our company uh, to get together and spend time together and work on a charitable cause, uh, which makes right. everybody feels good. We we uh, had a demo day uh, taken out because uh, we one of the. Uh, work efforts was to remodel the kitchen, so we took out all the cabinets and tile, and so I got a lot of people to swing a sledgehammer and uh, get dirty <laughs> and get dusty, and then we had a few cleanup days, which was great. So, um, yeah, everybody gets involved, and everybody's really supportive, and it's, it's great to work with such a great team that uh, feels good about helping out those around us. Yeah, as far as four or five sledgehammer swings are pretty therapeutic. After that, you get tired, and then, okay, someone else can take a turn. So. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> well, I know you guys have uh, lots of different employees um, and sort of been lauded in a lot of prestigious award competitions. Um, you know, what, what do you sort of attribute the, the distinctions and, and some of the successes you've had are in this area? Well, I think, uh, Lancy, we've done a really good job of acquiring uh, great properties and uh, done a good job on the planning as far as the architecture and product and executing on that. So we, our project in Iron Ridge was uh, voted Master Plan Community of the Year. Our uh, project in Newport Beach actually won quite a few uh, awards for architecture and design, which was really uh, great, really kind of put Lancy on the map. And then um, then we've had quite a few individuals that have won um, individual awards for sales or construction and customer care. So, you know, I just think our team is uh, very talented and there's a lot of energy and enthusiasm around Lancy. I think maybe because it's a new company and just I think everybody's excited to work for the company and really feels very proud to work for the company. Well, I'm excited to hear that you won some design and architecture awards because some parts of Orange County can be quite, um, they look exactly the same, right? There can be some playing communities. You're like, am I in this city or am I in that city? Are you? And so, but I think late in the last five years, I've noticed some really good, really good design uh, sort of influences, right? As opposed to being more well, let's just make it cookie cutter or whatever it is. And I don't know if that was design and intentional or if that was cost uh, things happening, you know, stuff being built in the recession. Um, but certainly seeing uh, some, I think the character, right? If you have a, a community that has a certain character, has a certain design, I think that adds to the overall community. Oh, yeah. We take a lot of pride in our architecture and feel like the exterior elevations, what the, how you feel when you drive down the street and how the homes look is very important. And so we're not uh, the cookie cutter type of builder. We're not the extreme value, low cost uh, builder. Of course, we try to build it for as low cost as we can, but we want to have architecture that appeals to the public uh, on the outside. And then inside, we want our floor plans to be as uh, efficient as possible. So uh, yeah, our projects, if you go down, I go through them, and I think you'll notice that uh, we take a lot of pride in the work that we do. So what's next uh, for, for Lancy Homes? I mean, uh, you continue to motivate your team and, and, and reach new levels of success. What are some of the goals and things that you're thinking about? Uh, now, a lot of people keep saying as we enter a new decade, and I do want to remind everyone, we have another year until we enter the next decade, which is actually in 2021. But as we enter the next 10 years, I guess, and start 2020, what are some of the things you're thinking about? Well, uh, just immediately, I mean, we have some great new projects coming up. We have a project in Chatsworth called Cressley that we're opening up the model homes this weekend. And then uh, the t- we have two great projects in Ontario that we're currently on the first one we're working on models there um, on four sets of models and that's going to be a great project for us and um, but 
overall, it's uh, really exciting times for Lansing because again, we're we're new. This is our second. Last year was our first year of closing, so we closed 100 homes. This year, we'll close over 200, and then uh, next year. We'll close over 300, 300 and 450 at the year after that. So we're, wow. it's uh, really we're in a growth uh, period. It's very exciting, and then we're always working on new pro- uh, projects. So it's really great being part of a, a new company in a very strong growth stage. So with my previous guest, we were talking a lot about mindset and having a positive company culture. And, and do you think that's something that um, you, you bring in into the organization as something that's a, a, a focus uh, for you as far as thinking about what's working and what's going well, as opposed to you know, some companies focus on problems. They focus on the negative and what's not working. Uh, no, I mean, we have plenty of problems to overcome, but yeah, it's uh, the, the culture at Lansing and, and definitely in our division is uh, very positive. We try to have very open and honest uh, communication. It's, uh, it's a very team-oriented business with different functions that have to work very closely together and coordinate their work. So it's really important that we communicate very well, that we... Um, are open and honest. We kind of learn from our mistakes, and that uh, we work really well together. Um, and it is there's a lot of frustrating parts of it. So it's really important to me that people have really good positive attitudes, and that uh, we, we again work really well together. So you know, being someone that came from uh, a very sports specific background and even got recruited in for that reason initially, right? But have stayed in this industry for as many years as you have. Did you find that was ever a moment where you had to kind of make a shift from, you know, what is this sports related mentality around teams and around how we manage people? To is it different for you? Does, do you have to kind of make a shift into the business world? Um, and I say that because I was sort of leading my team for many years as this sports kind of a rah, rah, rah. And, but it was also a little command and control. It was a little do what I say because I said so, right? I'm the I'm the leader of the team and you're going to go play first base, so go do what I said, right? right. And I had to change over time uh, in order for our company to succeed. Did you ever feel like you had to shift some of that mindset or shift some of that leadership? Um, well, I think that... Uh yeah, I mean, you just can't tell people to go do their job. I, I try to be work with them and be supportive and encourage them and help them out where they need help. Um, you know, I think a lot of similarities are that, you know, we do have in our business different positions. And for us to operate op- optimally, everybody really does have to f- fulfill their responsibilities of their position. So I think in that respect, there's a lot of, uh, you know, similarities to a very uh successful sports team where you you can't just be strong in one position really really sure. got to be strong in all, all the positions so and and so we try to hold each other accountable and um make sure that everybody's fulfilling their responsibility along the way so one of the things we love to ask our, our guests is uh, about books because we get such incredibly fascinating suggestions so is there a book that you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people check out Yes, I, um, I'm not a big reader, but I just did read a book. My uh, son uh, encouraged me to listen to this podcast, and on it, I, there is a book, and, it, and you, you may have read it, um, but it's called uh, It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. It's uh, Jason Friedman, but basically it's about um, how a lot of companies are just working crazy hours, and their people don't have any quality of life, and uh, it's essentially because uh, the way those companies operate is that you know they have too many meetings. They do things that they're not supposed to, don't really have to do. Right. And uh, so I, I thought that would be a good book for me because I'm 
probably a little traditional. I've always been a hard worker and uh, just thought it'd be good to balance my perspective on that. Well, and it aligns perfectly with the conversation we just had. And we were talking about this concept of if everyone thinks you're supposed to work a long hours and that means that you're working hard, doesn't necessarily mean you have enough work to fill up an 18-hour day. If everyone's supposed to work an 18-hour day, so suddenly you start having all these meetings, you start filling that time with junk, right? And and having calls and doing things you don't need to do. And if we compact things, if we tell people, you need to get all this done in eight hours, you, you move more efficiently, you get, you're more effective, your meetings are maybe cut down meetings and you just tell people what they need to know. I mean, right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I think that... Uh, our industry went through a really tough time in the recession, and a lot of the uh, builders went, you know, cut their staff in half or less. Yeah. And so you really, at that time, really figured out what you really needed to do and what you didn't do. And, uh, you know, based on that experience, I, I think in general, builders are much more efficient nowadays. They're not doing things that really don't have a strong uh, implication on the bottom line. Yeah, for as hard as the recession was, for a lot of companies, it helped kind of help them be stronger, think about being more efficient, actually get them to adopt technology and new processes because they kind of had to. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and figure out who their best employees were. Um, you know, you couldn't just not think about it. You had to really think about who was who you, who you had to keep and who maybe had to go. So um, you, you've mentioned a, a lot of uh, fascinating things uh, today, and I really appreciate you coming into the studio to, to kind of share what your company's doing. Um, you know, if somebody only heard one thing, if they only... Uh, happened to pay attention for 30 seconds. What, what are you hoping that they would take away from the things that we talked about today? Um, I'd hope they'd take away that uh, Lancy's a great company. We do a lot of great projects, and hopefully that would interest them to come out and check it out. And and the other thing that, uh, this is a question we used to ask a lot, and I thought maybe it might be appropriate here today for us, is, you know, is there someone in your background, uh, maybe a, a coach, a parent, or someone that you maybe kind of really started you on your leadership journey? Where Do you have a person in mind or a couple people in mind that maybe you kind of got some of your initial thoughts about leadership around? Uh, yeah, I've. I haven't really thought about that, but I, I guess I would have to really default to my dad. I, I think my dad was always uh, and is, still is a great person in my life and a great example for me in, in terms of uh, sports and leadership and being competitive and, and really always just trying to do the best you can to succeed, whether it's at, at work or in a game or w- what, with your family or whatever you're doing. So I would definitely have to say my dad and was did that come through like in inside of sports was he your uh, your coach or was that more even more than his work ethic with how, whatever he did with his job it was both yeah he, he was uh coached uh, my little league teams and was was always involved and always came to our games and um you know he's a successful businessman who was civil engineer mm-hmm. and worked very hard at work and was an ambitious guy uh, at work as well so i think in both respects yeah, it's amazing how many uh, people usually mention a family member. Uh, I think it's probably the most common answer. The second most common answer might be like a first boss, right? That first person that kind of took them under their wing and taught them things. Uh, I remember for me, it was you know my my grandfather seeing how uh, how hard he could work and how good he was what he did, but he somehow was always generous to people. Uh, it didn't need he didn't need to be. But it was like his way to be like more generous, and I think now like how many times I see people like just they have the opportunity to be generous, to give their time, to to, to help somebody, and they want to 
they don't want to do it. And he just could be generous to everyone. I remember that that kind of really had an impression on me and set you know kind of set me on a path uh, along with maybe a first boss. So uh-huh. it's always a fascinating thing to ask our, our guests. Uh, we kind of learn a lot about them that way. But um, you know, if people are interested in checking out your homes, maybe they want to come work for you. Maybe they want to learn more about you. What's the best way for them to find out more about you and your company? Uh, just go on uh, the you Google Lancy Homes. It's uh, in our website is lancyhomes.com. So it's L-A-N-D-S-E-A then Homes. Yeah, it's not the it's not the easiest one, but uh, hopefully they get yeah. It looks yeah. like land and then sea. So, exactly. Uh, sea as in the ocean. So right. uh, there's a few of them there. But uh, yeah, anyway, so hopefully people can check them out. And if you're a local in Orange County, you certainly can, uh, or any of the places where they're at, can go and check out their places. And it sounds like they've got a lot of fantastic homes coming up for sale. So you can go check those out. But uh, Tom, thanks so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate you coming in. Uh, and thank you to everyone who uh, listened today. Hopefully you gained something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. As I mentioned, this is our last show of 2019, so we'll get to our first show of 2020 here in January. Um, We'll bring in our guest, Brandon Marino, president of Everhive Corporation, and then uh, Don, uh, not Don, John, I knew I'd mess up someone's name, John uh, DeHelios, author of The Relationship Economy. But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.